Good morning. I'd like to welcome you to Prairie View Christian Church. I'm glad you've chosen to worship here with us this morning. Any of us who have been doing something or just been at something for a long time would agree with the following statement. And the statement is, faithfulness is hard. It's hard to be faithful to a job when sometimes you find yourself wondering if the grass is greener on the other side, somewhere else. It's hard to be faithful when it comes to our education, especially if that diploma or that degree seems like it is just years and years and years away. It's hard to be faithful in marriage when slowly but surely romance can fade and you secretly wonder if you made the right decision, if you married the right person. Faithfulness can be hard in parenting. You do everything you can to teach your kids, to provide for them, to set them up for success, but it seems like you receive very few thanks. Faithfulness is hard. Faithfulness is always hard, but it's especially hard during times of challenges. At that job we just talked about, you find yourself struggling to be faithful when you're in a particularly uh, stressful time. In your education, you find yourself struggling to be faithful, especially when you're burnt out at the end of the semester, like right now, and the work seems completely overwhelming. It's hard to be faithful in your marriage at a time where money is tight, and as a result, the fighting seems to go up a little bit. It's hard to be faithful in parenting, especially when your kids are going through a particularly rebellious phase. There are lots of areas in life where it is hard to be faithful. And the same can be said of being faithful to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. At times, as followers of Jesus, we are tempted to just give up, especially when we're facing challenges. Maybe we experience unexplainable suffering that causes us to doubt whether or not God can really be good. Maybe we deal with a painful loss and we're just weighed down and burdened by sorrow and despair and don't know what to do next. Or maybe the test of faithfulness is not one particular event, but just one of those seasons in your life where it seems like God is silent. He's distant. You haven't heard from him in a while. And you start to wonder if he's really there. Faithfulness can be very, very hard. Now, the author of Hebrews understands that faithfulness is hard. We don't know who this author is. There have been multiple theories over the years about who might have written the letter to the Hebrews, but truly, it's a mystery to this day. We don't know for sure when he's writing, other than it being one of the later New Testament books. There's a large range of years where this could fall in. But one of the things that we do know about this author is that he cares deeply about the faithfulness of those people who will receive this letter. Now, who are those people who will receive this letter? Well, we have reason to believe that it's a small group of believers possibly located in Rome. And this small group of believers has faced challenges before, they're facing challenges now, and there's a really, really good possibility that they're going to face challenges in the future. And as a result of all those challenges, all of those obstacles, you find these people tired. They're worn down, they're burnt out, they're weary, and they're struggling to stay faithful. But then they receive this letter. You might even call this letter a sermon. That's the way it actually kind of lines out. 
This author clearly seeks to encourage these people and teach these people and empathize with these people who are suffering. But he also gives very stern warnings because he cares for them. He loves them. He wants them to be faithful in the midst of challenges. And I believe that as we look to be faithful followers of Jesus today in the midst of our own challenges, in the midst of our own obstacles, amidst the wear and tear of time that just seems to beat down on us, we often need those same things. We, too, are in need of encouragement and teaching and empathy and at times even stern warnings. So with that, let's open up to Hebrews chapter 1 in your Bibles. If you're using one of our chair Bibles, this will be located on page 860. And if you don't own a Bible, feel free to grab one from the welcome desk before you leave today. But before we read in Hebrews chapter 1, let's pray together and then we'll get started. Father, I think just about every single person in this room could testify that it's hard to be faithful in lots of areas of life. Challenges come, obstacles come, we get weary, we get tired, and we wonder how much longer we can hold on. And many of us are feeling that at this very moment. But God, I pray that as we read the letter of Hebrews, that we would be encouraged and taught and challenged to be faithful. To be faithful to you no matter what comes our way, no matter what life throws at us, no matter what Satan throws at us. God, I pray that you'd help us to strengthen our knees and strengthen our hands and stand firm in your gospel and stand firm in who Jesus is and what your son has done for us, that that might be our source of strength. God, we love you. We praise you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. We'll be in Hebrews chapter one today. We'll be looking at a particularly large chunk of of Hebrews. We'll be doing that a lot throughout this series. In the book of Ephesians, we looked at almost every single verse. We're not going to look at every single verse in this series, but large chunks at a time. Now, we're going to be looking at the first three and a half chapters of Hebrews, and that sounds like a lot. That sounds intimidating, but believe it or not, they seem to be one coherent unit, and a lot of what we're talking about today will set the stage for what we talk about in the coming weeks. So, Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verses 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, the author starts out with a very big, yet at the same time, pretty simple, to the point idea. And that idea is that God speaks. In the past, God spoke through prophets. In the past, God spoke through the law. This whole section of Hebrews has parallels to Mount Sinai when Moses is standing on top of the mountain and God is speaking to him and giving the law to his people. Deuteronomy 33 talks about how angels were present for that and that's why you see angels so much in Hebrews chapter 1. It's paralleling that event. 
So God spoke through prophets. God spoke through the law. God spoke to Moses. But here he tells the congregation that God has spoken again through Jesus. Now, what's so special about that? Well, look at the things that he says about Jesus in this chapter. He calls Jesus the heir of all things. He talks about how Jesus was there during creation, before everything we see even came into being. He talks about how Jesus radiates God's glory. If you want to see God's glory, look at Jesus. He's the exact imprint of God's nature. If you want to see who God is and what God is like, look at Jesus for that too. He says that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. That Jesus offered purification for sins, like a great high priest. We'll be talking about that in coming weeks. He says that Jesus sits at the right hand of God. And then throughout the rest of the chapter, Hebrews chapter 1, he uses multiple Old Testament passages to show that Jesus is superior even to angels. He says that the angels can't claim to be God's son, and yet Jesus can The angels can't claim that God is their father, and yet Jesus can. The angels can't claim a promise that they will have a throne forever, and yet Jesus can make that claim. The angels can't say that God has promised them that he will exalt them over their enemies and make their enemies a footstool for their feet, and yet Jesus can say that. The angels worship Jesus, not the other way around. And the author makes it clear that nowhere has God spoken more clearly, more loudly, and more definitively than through his son, Jesus. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the law. He's even above the angels. Let's look in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, that's the law, Deuteronomy 33, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to to his will. So as we move on in the passage, it's almost as if the author is saying, now that I've reminded you of just how incredible Jesus is, now that I've reminded you of just how mind-blowing all of this is, now that I've reminded you that God speaks through Jesus, I want you to know something. You can take heart in this. You can be faithful. Don't drift away. Don't lose hope. Now, of course, the question would have to be asked, what kind of challenges would cause that congregation to be so weary, so tired, so worn down? Well, one commentator breaks it up into three different categories, and I think most of us could probably relate to these three different categories of challenges and obstacles. He talks about passive challenges. These are things like time and just general wear and tear. It's like when you have an old car. Even if you maintain it, even if you try and take good care of it, time takes a toll. It's hard for that car to continue functioning after so many miles. And sometimes it's a challenge for us to be faithful 
over the long haul. He talks about active challenges. These are things like sin and rebellion. Even though we are saved by the blood of Christ, even though we're being continually sanctified by God's grace, we still deal with sin. We still wrestle with rebellion. Those are challenges that we cannot ignore as followers of Jesus. And then, of course, there are external challenges. Things like persecution. Things like marginalization. Things that these believers are probably dealing with as they're receiving this letter. There's the temptation that the world and Satan often throws at us to attempt to draw our eyes away from Christ. Many of these hearers of this letter are facing all three of these categories. At least one of them, if not all of them. Passive challenges, active challenges, external challenges. And many of us may be facing all three ourselves. So what's the remedy? What's the hope? What's the solution that the author has to offer? Well, let's pick up in Hebrews chapter 2. Starting in the second half of verse 8, the author talks about man, the author talks about angels, the author talks about Jesus, and then we pick up in verse 8. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So as the author writes to these weary, tired, worn down, struggling people who don't know how much longer they can hold on, the remedy he offers is the supremacy of Jesus. Even though it's tempting to think it isn't there, even though you might look around and doesn't seem like Jesus is supreme, he is. That's the hope the author offers. In Hebrews 1, he used all those incredible phrases to talk about who Jesus is, the heir of all things. He was present during creation. He offered purification for sins, all these mind-blowing ideas. But here he focuses specifically on what Jesus has done. He focuses on Jesus' suffering. And Jesus' death for all of them. That's what he offers them as they struggle to stay faithful. As they're tired and as they're weary. You notice what he doesn't say. The first thing that he does not say to these struggling believers, he doesn't tell them, get your act together. Suck it up. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Work harder. This is all on you. That's not what he does. The first thing he stresses to people who are worn out and tired is that Jesus is supreme. And no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what obstacles are heading your direction, you can cling to that. And you can find confidence in that. Because even though your circumstances may change, that doesn't change. Jesus suffered for you. Jesus died for you. And Jesus is supreme. Don't ever forget that. No matter what you're dealing with. Let's pick up in verse 14. Since therefore the children, that's referring to us, humanity, share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, 
that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. That's a phrase for God's people. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So the first thing he offers to these struggling believers is that Jesus is supreme. Even if you have a hard time believing that sometimes, cling to that, that Jesus is supreme. And the next thing he offers to them as they're struggling is that Christ knows your suffering. Christ knows what you're going through. Because Jesus took on flesh just like yours. Jesus faced temptation just like you're facing Jesus faced persecution, just like these believers are dealing with. Jesus took God's wrath on their behalf. Jesus defeated Satan. Jesus defeated death on the cross. So the first two pieces of pastoral advice that he gives to these people cling to the supremacy of Jesus and understand and believe that Jesus knows your suffering. Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. You don't worship some God who is distant and removed and aloof and completely oblivious to the struggles that you're dealing with. God knows exactly what you're going through because he sent his son in the flesh to die for you on the cross. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a famous pastor in Nazi Germany who paid the ultimate price for his commitment to Christ. He refused to submit to the Nazi regime, and as a result, he was jailed and eventually killed for his faith. And one of the things that he wrote as he was sitting in a jail cell, suffering for the cross, is that only the suffering God can help. Only the suffering God can help. In other words, the only type of God who can offer any hope, any comfort, any confidence to people who are suffering... The only God who can offer that is a God who knows what it's like to suffer himself. And that's exactly the kind of God that we see hanging on the cross. The God who offers himself on our behalf. The God who suffered on our behalf. The God who is not oblivious to the suffering that you're dealing with. As we pick up in Hebrews chapter 3 verses 1 through 11, the author starts to shift gears. He compares Jesus to Moses. He stresses that Jesus is not only better than the prophets, he's not only better than the law, he's not only above the angels, he's even better than Moses, the ultimate hero of the Jewish faith. He talks about the people who followed Moses, those people who God freed from captivity, the ones who were slaves in Egypt. God frees them, Moses leads them to the promised land, and yet somehow they rebel. That's who he's talking about in verses 1 through 11. And then we pick up in verses 12 through 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So the next thing the author of Hebrews does is he holds up these people who rebelled. Those people way back in history. And he tells them, don't be like them. He gives them practical advice. Exhort one another that you may endure. Don't try to endeavor on this long journey of Christian faithfulness on your own. Because if you try to handle this on your own, you will not make it. That's why God gave the church. Christians are meant to be in the body of Christ, meant to be exhorting one another, meant to be in relationship with one another. And if we fool ourselves to think that we can handle faithfulness on our own, we will be sorely disappointed. We're like animals in the wild sometimes, animals that travel in packs. If an animal is broken off from the pack, if they're alone, all of a sudden their weaknesses are a lot more obvious than when they were with the group. They're much more vulnerable to enemies than they ever were before because they need one another the same way Christians need one another if we're going to be faithful in the long haul. God knows that. That's why God gave the church. Let's pick up in verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 3. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? We see there that the core problem with these people, verse 19, we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Now, as you read that story, sometimes you might be tempted to think, all right, What was the core problem with these people in Numbers 13 and 14? These people who were going to enter the promised land, the people who were freed from captivity, the people who sent in spies to scope things out. And when the spies came back and said, oh, my goodness, all the people are too big, they're too strong, they're too powerful. We can't possibly go in and take this land. There's one spy who comes back named Caleb, and Caleb says, no, guys, we can do this. God made a promise. God says he will give us the promised land. Let's trust God. Let's go in. But the people don't trust. The people don't believe God's promise. The people don't believe Caleb. The people don't believe Moses. And as a result, these people are punished. None of them in that generation get to enter the promised land. They wander the desert for 40 years in suffering. And verse 19 gives us a hint at what the core problem for those people was. We might be tempted to think that the core problem for those people was disobedience. God told them to do something, told them to enter the promised land, and yet they didn't do it. Disobedience, pretty cut and dry. But when you really look at verse 19, the core problem was not disobedience. The core problem was unbelief. Disobedience only exposed the core problem of unbelief. You may have heard a similar example before, but imagine if I'm in a pool and I'm telling Javen, Javen, jump in the pool. I'm going to catch you. You're not going to drown. I won't let you go under. I know you don't know how to swim, but I'm here for you. Jump in. 
If Javan doesn't jump in, the problem is not disobedience. The problem is unbelief. It's a lack of trust. That's the core problem for those people who followed Moses. It wasn't just that they didn't obey. The problem is that they didn't believe. That's why they didn't endure. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, the author talks about God's rest. The rest that they were offered in the promised land and the rest that God's people are offered today through Christ. And he makes it clear that even though those people never got to enter rest, even though those people never got to enter the promised land, you will enter rest. You can endure. You can be strong because you believe in Jesus. Verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Be strong. Hang in there. Strengthen your weak knees and stand tall because you can endure because you believe who Jesus is. You believe what Jesus has done. You believe that Jesus knows your suffering. You exhort one another. You've seen what happens to people who don't believe. Therefore, take all of these things and endure and enter rest. God promises rest for you. God says that you will enter rest. God says that this is waiting for you and you have the strength in Christ to endure. So go in and enter that rest. And if you don't believe me, if you don't think you can endure, if you don't think that you can believe in this promise of rest from God, Look at what he says in verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The message seems to be pretty simple. Folks... I know you're weary. Folks, I know you're tired. Folks, I know you're suffering. But you can trust God. You can trust his promise of rest because God does not go back on his word. God holds people accountable to his word. If God says that you can endure through Christ, then you can endure through Christ. If God says that Christ knows your suffering, then Christ knows your suffering and you are not suffering alone. If God says that you have the strength in Christ alone, that if you cling to his supremacy, you can withstand the challenges and the obstacles and the pain of the world. If God says all those things, believe God is telling the truth. Now, faithfulness is hard. We've talked about this. The author knows this, the audience knows this, you know this, I know this, God knows this. But as we leave this morning, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through chapter 4, verse 13, gives us five things to take with us as we face those things that test our devotion. As we wonder how much longer we can hold on. As we sit there thinking that we are hanging on by a thread and we are one gust of wind away from falling. The author of Hebrews gives us five things. Number one, confidence in Jesus' supremacy. Number two, comfort in Jesus' humanity, knowing that we do not suffer alone. 
Number three, encouragement and community, that we might hold one another up and pick one another up on this long trail of faithfulness. He gives us warnings of peril that you can't ignore. And he gives us hope in our future rest. Knowing that this long faithfulness, these struggles and these hardships and these ups and downs and these sufferings and these pains, all of these things, they're worth it. Because rest is waiting for us. We don't have to be scared of whether or not we will enter that rest because we believe in what God has done. We believe who Jesus is. We believe that he suffered and died for us. So if you're struggling at this very moment, if you're hurting at this very moment, if you are worn down, let me tell you that you can endure. Cling to what God has done. Cling to who God is. Cling to Jesus' supremacy. Cling to one another. And you will enter rest. Let's pray. Father, so many of us have different stories about different struggles and challenges that we've had. Some of us feel like our whole lives have been just one big challenge and one big obstacle, and as soon as one goes away, another one creeps up. Some of us look at our lives and feel relatively blessed that we haven't had the same struggles and obstacles and hardships that others have had. But God, I pray that no matter which category we fall into, which boat that we're in, I pray that we would look to you for endurance. That we wouldn't fool ourselves into thinking that we can endure by our own strength alone, that we can help ourselves, that we can pick ourselves up by the bootstraps, because none of those things are true. God, if we're going to endure in this long journey of faithfulness, we need the kind of strength that only you can provide. We need the kind of assurance that only you offer. We need the kind of hope for rest that you promise us. We need a Savior who knows what it's like to suffer. We need a Savior who died on the cross for our sin and offered purification on our behalf, took the punishment that we deserved, took the wrath that had our name on it. God, if we're going to endure, we need all of those things, and you've provided all of those things. So I pray that you would help us be strong. I pray that you would help us trust in you more deeply. I pray that in those moments that we feel like we can't hold on any longer, that we would turn to you. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for the cross that gives us hope in this life and hopes to endure until we reach the next life. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you have not yet made the decision to be a follower of Christ, I pray that you would talk to one of our elders. They'll be standing at the sides of the room. They'd be happy to talk with you, happy to pray with you, happy to just offer their hand and offer their service as you go through the challenges that you're facing, the hardships that you're dealing with. You don't have to do that alone. We're called to exhort one another. So wherever you fall, whatever you're thinking, whatever God has laid on your heart this morning, talk to one of those elders about it. They'd be happy to talk to you, happy to pray with you as we sing this last song.